You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Uh, this morning, uh, Nick, Nick made mention of this. This morning, we're going to be in the teeny tiny little book of Habakkuk. If you've never read Habakkuk, it's only three chapters. You can read it while I'm talking, and uh, you'll probably get more out of that than listening to me. So that's okay. You can do that. Um, so Habakkuk chapter three is where we're going to be uh, towards the end, but I'm going to kind of walk through the whole book of Habakkuk. Um, for those of you who have not been uh, necessarily visit, or maybe this is your first time or whatever, welcome to Common Ground Church. My name is Brian. Um, if you haven't met me, then consider yourself quite blessed, um, but someday you will, and even be, be even more blessed, I'm sure. Um, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, this is a place of family, and if you haven't heard that already, I just want I just want to capitalize on that. This is a, a place where you can be you. Okay, you don't have to put on fancy clothes and a fancy uh, and a fancy way of talking and a fancy way of being. Just be you. In fact, that motion, that discipline of actually telling yourself and telling those around you, I'm going to be me and, and I'm, I'm, I'm struggling and I'm hurting and I'm trying to find Jesus and I'm working towards that, that process in and of itself is probably one of the first steps you're going to have towards faith. So stop putting on a show and just be you. And we're going to practice that in just a second. Okay? Um, Matt uh, has done a fantastic job here today of uh, highlighting a few things. He actually sang songs that were all about uh, the character of Jesus in a very different way. The pictures of Jesus that are, that are through Scripture that we find uh, that help us understand who Jesus is. Um, but he also did something very phenomenally awesome that helps us introduce today, and that is he played word association. So we're going to do that for just a second, okay? Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to give you a word, and then you're going to turn to the person next to you, and you're going to blurt out exactly what's on your mind, and don't second guess it, okay? Because there's that moment, right? That moment. This is where we get to make it a practice, because there's that moment where you where you want to filter what just happened in your head. And you want to present a different you. Don't be a hypocrite. Just say the first thing out of your head. And you, if it's uh, if it's PG-13 or above, just keep it quiet, okay? Um, it's fine. But the first thing that comes to your brain, turn to the person next to you and say it, okay? Here we go. I'm going to say the word, and then you're just going to do it. Ready? Dark. <laughs> okay? Okay? What is I heard potato over here. That's what I heard. Yeah. yeah. Dark potato. Dark potato. Never heard of that. Okay. Um, all right. All right. All right. Here we go. Ready? Uh, ready? Here's another one. Lunch. Did somebody say feast? No? Meat. Lots of meat. I think I heard lots of meat. Who here said meat? Lunch meat. Okay. Well, there's only a few. Who here said lunch time? Only wow, you guys are really creative. Okay, excellent. Um, ooh, here's a good one. French. <laughs> Who said fries? Raise your hand. Who said baguette? <laughs> I heard it real loud. I heard it real loud. Okay, I heard it real loud. All right. Um, oh, oh, here's a good one. Here, here's a good one. Uh, let's do um, face. Okay. 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 Um, 
Somebody said plant over here. Somebody said, did anybody say plant? Did anybody say palm? Baseball. You did? Baseball. Good job. Good job. All right. One more. One more. One more. No, we'll do two more. We'll do two more. Ready? Uh, color. Okay. All right. That one was a little more diverse. Now, here's the best one. Ready? Psalms. Yes. I got it in your head. So much so that the first thing that we're associated with Psalms is Spectus. I love it. Okay, great. Guess what? So we are not we are not doing Psalm Spectives today. We are not doing Psalm Spectives today. Because today we're not reading a Psalm, we're reading a prophet. So when you go to the prophets and you're looking for prospect or perspective, you have prospectives. Okay, very good. Um, yeah, I can do it with anything, Jamin. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> So if you haven't been here, we've been walking through the book of Psalms looking at each psalm that has three or more selahs. And selah is an interesting word that appears only in the psalms in one other place. Just the psalms and then Habakkuk, chapter 3. And so this is what led us to Habakkuk chapter 3. Most of you are like, who in the world preaches from Habakkuk chapter 3? Now, here's a fascinating thing about that, Okay. If Who here, I'd be honest, raise your hand, who here honestly thought, why would we look into Habakkuk? Anybody think that? No? Nobody thought that? Did you? Yeah? I've never even heard of that. You've never even heard of it. Who here knew there was a book named Habakkuk in the Bible? Okay, good. Who here has read Habakkuk cover to cover before? Okay, a few people. Good job. Okay, so here's the deal. This is why this is this this highlights something, right? Who here's ever heard a sermon from Habakkuk they can remember? Okay, good. Considerably less. So one of the dangerous things we have in our world, in our society, one of the more dangerous things we have is we we like to pick and choose some of the things that we're going to speak about. So one of the things that we stand on here at the church is one of the reasons why we go through extensive period, uh, portions of Scripture is if I just pick and choose the things that I think are culturally relevant or I want to talk about or like somehow I'm going to look inside and be like, okay, Jesus, give me a feeling. What do you want these people to hear? You're just going to get my feelings. But when we go to Habakkuk, when we go through the Bible, like I'm forced to go through Habakkuk. I have to. And that's a good thing because we want to know we want to know what God's uh, God's words are regarding this. You know, we want to know this. Like this is a very important thing. We definitely want to know this. So we're going to be looking at Habakkuk. I'm going to introduce a few things that we've been walking through for the last few weeks about Psalms, and this applies to this particular chunk of Habakkuk as well because you'll see this in a second. Habakkuk three is an anti-Psalm. It's a reverse Psalm. It's, it's, it's upside down. It's upside down Psalm. But psalms are poems or songs. Some of them are set to, some of them are set to music. Some of them are rhyme. Some of them have tempo and uh, and have meter. Some of them do all that type of stuff. No, back it up, cat. We got to go back there. So it's a poem or it's a song. Um, it's also an ancient prayer language for the Hebrews. They learned and developed how to pray to God through the psalms. And so they would learn. You guys all have a prayer language. Every single one of you. Uh, quick, quick, quick question. What do you start every prayer with? And it, no, 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 I don't mean the out loud, I mean, well, maybe. Okay, let's do this word association. It's not even word association. I'm going to ask you a question. You're going to turn to your neighbor and tell them what you start every prayer with because everybody has an address uh, to the beginning of their prayer. So uh, here you go. What do you begin every prayer with? Go ahead. What do you bring? God, Jesus, God. 
Good. Now, I would like to hear, I would like to hear from some people. What do you begin every prayer with? Anybody want to share? What do you begin every prayer with? What do you, go ahead. Dear God. Dear God, okay? Like you're writing a letter, right? Like, P.S. I didn't mean everything I just said. No, just kidding. Okay, so yeah, go ahead. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father. Ellie, shout it out. God. I address God as God. Multiple names of God. Okay, multiple names of God. Yours varies. Yeah, I've heard some people use the word Abba. I've heard some people say Papa. I've heard some people say Daddy when they address when they address God. I don't know how I feel about that, but but it doesn't matter. It's not about my feelings. Remember, we're gonna look through like look at the back. Anybody else? What do you start your prayers with? Lord Jesus. Yeah. Okay. So there are there are where various ways that you have learned how to pray. I don't know if you ever thought about how you picked that up. I don't know if you ever thought about how you picked that up. If you ever read the prayers of the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew people, as well as reading the prayers of St. Paul, they don't necessarily follow a rhyme or a rhythm. They don't necessarily say, in Jesus' name, amen, at the end of everything. They don't necessarily... They're, they're, but they developed a prayer language off of the Psalms. They were a way to help you develop a daily heart of worship, a daily practical worship as a Hebrew person. And, and they're phenomenal for that. They are emotional. They're intended to be, uh, to induce an emotional response. And you're going to get that in Habakkuk today, big time. You're going to get the emotional response thing. They're intended for that. Faux show. Um, so one of the most interesting parts, like I said, is the Selah. And the word Selah, nobody really knows what the word Selah means. We have some guesses. Some people believe that it's a time to be able to stop and praise. Some people believe that it's a time that says to stop and wait and, he- and, and just kind of sit in the heaviness of what was just said. The Babylon Bee says that it's a face-melting guitar solo. Um, so whatever you want to choose, I guess. No, actually, what I think it is, is I think it's a moment where we stop and we weigh the things that God has said, uh, God's Word has said about Him, and then we, we praise God for that. We kind of weigh ourselves in the balance there. Uh, so we're going to jump into Habakkuk here, and uh, Habakkuk is an incredibly intriguing book. Um, good luck finding it, or you can try to find it. But Habakkuk is a, is an incredibly intriguing book. Um, it is. I got to find it. I had it marked in my other Bible. Oh yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks, Gary. I appreciate that. Gary said it's on page nine thirty, um, and I. It's not on page 930, Carrie. There we go. Um, it's on BibleHub.com. It's on 1004. Okay, Your Bible must be missing pages. Um, okay, so Habakkuk is an incredibly intriguing book. It's only, uh, it's only three chapters long. Like I said, you should try to read it. Um, it will, when you read it, you're going to walk away kind of royally confused about the, about the Hebrew culture. You're going to walk away kind of wondering, like, what does this even mean to me? And is this just me looking into history? Or is this something that I can actually pull, I can actually pull from, I can actually pull uh, some truth from? And it will stretch you in the way that you interpret scripture because this is a very specified, very specific prophecy, very specific message to a very specific people. And then it's recorded for us to read as well. Well, the, the basic idea of this very small small book is basically that Habakkuk is seeing his country slide into intense moral decline. Uh, it's getting crazy and people are basically doing whatever they want. 
There are people using other people, extorting people for money, worshiping all kinds of other gods, blurring the line between senses, between any sense of right and wrong. There are people killing their children as they worship a god of prosperity. There are people harming other people that don't agree with them. There are divided parties that resort to violence and a justice system that is just not functioning well anymore. Boy, that sounds so antiquated. How far we have come. You want me to run through that again? (laughs) Habakkuk's seeing something that we're living in. He's seeing something we're living in. And he's responding with a question. He comes back, he sees all this moral decline around him, and he gets really angry at the moral decline. He gets angry at it. And I don't know if the moral decline in our world angers you anymore because we're engrossed in it. You might just feel kind of ambivalent to it and you're going, whatever, whatever. But a prophet, right, Habakkuk, a person who's close to the heart of God, he is seeing this and he is trying to figure out, uh, he's, he's getting angry at it. He gets incredibly angry at it. He cries out to God to deliver his people, but God seems to just not be moving. And so God's answer to the problem is actually to send the Babylonians to take over the people of Israel. This seems like a very strange answer to Habakkuk because if you, uh, if you know anything about history, which you may or may not know, and if you haven't studied ancient Babylonia, the, Babylon, the, the Babylonians were probably the mo- one of the most violent people that has ever walked the face of this earth. They're the guys who were the predecessor. They're the ones who invented crucifixion, actually. The Romans took it and they perfected it. The Babylonians were, if you see some Babylonian architecture, they were they, they praised their king for flinging people with blunt rocks, peeling their skin off while they were still alive. That was the type of stuff that they loved. And this is who God raised up and brought, and brought in to take over as a response to the sin of the people of Israel. So this doesn't make a whole lot of sense in Habakkuk's mind, right? Like it shouldn't make a whole lot of sense in our mind because he's looking at this even more sinful culture step in to try to, um, to try to save the culture that's falling into sin. And Habakkuk doesn't get that. He doesn't understand it. But he trusts God and turns to God in worship, which is where we come to in Saul, in, excuse me, Habakkuk chapter three. So we're going to read that. We're going to read that. And, uh, where's that soundboard? Because I don't think this thing's on. Oh, it's on? Okay, good. I keep trying to yell. All right. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigianoth. Okay. Uh, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in your day. In our time, make them known in wrath. Remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One, uh, from Mount Paran. His, his glory covered the earth, excuse me, covered the heavens, and His praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise, rays flashed from His hand where His power was hidden. Plague went before Him. Pestilence followed His steps. Now, just interesting pause, right? Like, when you think of God, do you think of plague well, goes out before Him and pestilence follows in His steps? He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? 
You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhe. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him of his head to foot. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the field produces no fruit, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments. An incredibly intriguing psalm tucked into a prophecy. Now, what I can't get over in this psalm, and we're not actually going to, we're going to use this psalm as, or excuse me, this uh, this prayer from Habakkuk. We're going to use this as a launching point to talk some theology. Okay. What I can't get over as I read this prayer is how incredibly powerful Habakkuk sees God. How incredibly powerful Habakkuk sees God. He sees God as an incredibly powerful being to be feared. To be feared. He sees God as an active and terrifying presence who stands in the face of the nations. He sees God as a God who is powerful and causes people to tremble, to rot. Did you see the, the, the emotional language to rot deep in their bones? I don't know if you ever, have you ever had your bones rot when you're so afraid you can't even stand on two legs or maybe you're in such pain? That it aches from the inside out. And he quivers at the sound of his voice. This leads Habakkuk to wait. Even though there's no fruit, no productivity, no goodness, even though times are dark, Habakkuk's view of this great and terrifying, big, huge, incredible God, Habakkuk's view of that leads him to be able to patiently wait in the time of trouble leads him to be able to patiently wait in the time of trouble because he says the powerful, terrifying, and worthy of all our fear, God, will come to rescue His people. And so I will wait for that. Habakkuk has hope because of the character he sees in God Almighty. Now, what I can't get away from here, okay? what I can't get away from is Habakkuk knows God to be a powerful being, an intensely powerful being, and describes Him in ways that you don't hear often in our culture. We don't hear often in our culture. In fact, if I were to focus on the powerful and fearful nature of God every single Sunday, this would be an entirely different church. It would sound very different. Now that doesn't mean that we shouldn't focus on that. We should focus on God's power and His majesty and His might and His wrath and His fearfulness. We should look at that. We should all the time. Because in it is the face of the cross. 
But the reality is, basically, what I realize is that our culture has stopped talking about the intensity of God. Stop talking about the intensity of God. That God is so intense that you can't even stand in His presence without your bones rotting. So today, like I said, I want to bridge off of this and I want to jump into just talking some theology. It's actually going to be a really good introduction because what's coming up next week, we're going to launch into our our series of teachings all the way through Christmas. Or we're going to start because, yeah, I guess it's Christmas right after, right as soon as November starts. Um, but we're going to launch into, uh, instead of just saving Advent for the four weeks of December, we're going to launch into kind of a, a Christmassy motif called meaty faith. And we're going to talk about the Incarnation. And if you don't get the joke, having a meaty faith and in the incarnation, if you pick apart the words, what does incarnation mean? Incarne, which is wrapped in meat. Some of you are like, huh, I never even thought about that. Yeah, we're celebrating Jesus being wrapped in flesh, being wrapped in meat, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, okay? So we're going to learn what a meaty faith is by having, by, by focusing on why Jesus came, why he had to be wrapped in meat, and what does that make any difference? Why does that make any difference? So what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about Jesus. I want to talk to you about the character of Jesus. And we're eventually going to go over to Revelation because what pairs better with prophecy than more prophecy, right? So I want to talk about Jesus. Now, here we go. When I say the word Jesus, word association, first thing to come to your head. Cross Christ Bible. That was real long and drawn out. Okay, anybody else? Go ahead, describe Jesus. Give me the first couple words. Savior. Savior. What? Jesus! Good! Excellent! What else? Love! What? Redeemer! Redeemer! Huh? Gospel. Good news. Blood. Interesting. Okay? Our refuge, our strength. Propitiation. Propitiation. Thanks, engineer. Um, okay. <laughs> It's a good word. You should use that. Yep, propitiation. It is the propitiation for our sins, right? Now, interesting, and I, Matt and I had a good discussion about this this week. Um, why is it that when we say the word Jesus, the first word to our mind is not warrior? Why not? Why is it love, Savior, Redeemer, and not Fierce, intense warrior. Why is that not it? Because of the Gospels. Except I see a warrior in the Gospels. Well, why not, Ezra? Because the warrior implies, you know, strong punishment, destruction. And And Jesus doesn't do that. And Jesus took that, so we don't see that. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. We don't see the wrath because that's what Jesus took upon himself. That's a very interesting theological thought right there. I will submit to you that I think just because, I mean, we not only have we not seen God correctly, and in fact, it's a little bit easier for us to see God as a fearful being, right? Like, it's a little bit easier because it's a, it's a mystery as to what God looks like, and as we look in the pages of Scripture, we see people coming before God, and as soon as they do, what are they, what's their reaction? As soon as they see God, what's their reaction? They're down on the ground. They're on their face. They tremble. Their bones 
rot from out from under them and they just fall flat on their face. That's the God that we kind of know. And although we don't talk about that in our culture, that is the God that we know and that is the God from Scripture. But when we see Jesus, that's not really the correlation we make. It's not really the correlation we make. We don't get, when we say Jesus, we don't hear worthy of fear. We don't see in our mind wrath bringer. We don't see in our mind judge. We don't see in our mind's eye warrior. And unfortunately, we have the pictures of our head in Jesus of this super sweet, super nice guy, my buddy. He just carries me when I can't carry myself anymore. Where there once was two footprints in the sand, now there's only one and a line where he was dragging me. <laughs> Those are some of well, I don't know if that's the picture of Jesus in your head, but that's the one in my head actually is like, come on. <laughs> I don't want to know. Right? Yeah. So, <laughs> but because we have in our culture, because we've lost good, solid biblical teaching, we have lost a fundamental and foundational portrait of who Jesus is that is absolutely necessary to actually worshiping Jesus. Because we see Jesus as this long flowing haired, soft face, open toed sandals, robe wearing hugger, right? Like it's hard to worship him because I can take him. Right? Like that's the way we think he's really peaceful. But he swung a hammer, he had muscles, he had probably giant Popeye arms from swinging those hammers, right? I mean, if you think about it, he probably did. He built stuff from scratch. He didn't even use machinery, man. I mean, that was, he was probably a pretty big and rough and tumble dude. I mean, probably not big, actually, just so you know. Average height of Jesus, average height of uh, Hebrews. Was anybody got a guess? About 5'2". Five two. About 5'2", five two, right? Uh, Jason, how tall are you? About 5'5". Five five. About 5'5", right? So a little tall. You stand up, Jason. <laughs> so Jesus was probably a little just, a, just around Jason-sized. <laughs> Does that blow your mind? Yeah. I know, right, Luke? That's crazy. Jesus was the size of my dad? Yeah, I know. We we don't have a very historically or well-robust picture of Jesus in our head. And that picture in our head is the one that really messes up the way that we worship Jesus. So I'm going to give you kind of four portraits that I think we, we have to have. Four, four hills to die on when it comes to who Jesus is. And then we're going to do some more uh, metaphysical math. That's going to be some fun stuff again, engineers. You're going to love that. And we're going to kind of wrap into the book of Revelation a little bit. I want, to, I want you to see some things. I'm going to read some things to you. And my whole goal here is to expand your picture of Jesus. To expand your picture of who He is. To mess your brain up and show you the, the height of Jason and go, that's probably probably close to Jesus' build, and you go, what? I want to mess your brain up a little bit when it comes to Jesus. Why? Because I think in the rubble of your brain falling apart, Jesus is going to pick your soul up and say, here's how you follow him. That's my hope. So here are kind of the four hills to die on of the pictures of Jesus we need. The first one is, we need to have a picture of Jesus as a humble human. Now, I think this one's actually fairly easy for us to understand, but... In the coming weeks, we're going to look at Jesus and celebrate meaty faith by talking about the Incarnation. And 
Sometimes we have to envision Jesus with pudgy little folds in a manger. Sometimes you have to envision Jesus spitting up on Mary. You ever think about that? Sometimes you have to envision Jesus waking up with his shoulder sore because he injured it or something. Sometimes you have to picture Jesus this way as a humble human. We have to see this. Because if we don't, some crazy things happen. But not just that. We have to see Jesus as a powerful prophet. The one who speaks the words of God and delivers the words of God to people and is the truth teller and is the miracle worker and is the healer. This is the one we love. This is the one that I think Kay has recently experienced, right? Like the God that is this powerful being who's like, I love you so much, I'm going to fix things, right? We have to have this picture of Jesus. But you know what? The funny thing is, is the prophets didn't always fix things. Sometimes the prophets talked about God making it worse. Why? Because they need to clear out all of the garbage. God's words need to clear out all the garbage. And so maybe you're at a place where you haven't experienced the powerful prophet healing you, but you might be experiencing the powerful prophet declaring the words of God as your life is falling apart, because that's also what the prophets do. The third one, kind of a hill to die on here, also is suffering servant Jesus, right? He came to serve. He did not came to be served, but he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is the suffering servant who came to literally suffer and die for us. He is the one who came to wash feet. He is the one who came to hold babies. He is the one who came to heal people. He is the one who came to do whatever it took. He's the one who came to feed 5,000. He's the pastorally hearted suffering servant who walks his way to the cross. We have to have that. And if I'm honest with you, this is probably the primary one that I learned in my Baptist church growing up. It was always about the suffering servant. Always about the suffering servant. Always about the suffering servant. All the time. But the last one is we do need to see Jesus. And this is a hill to die on. As the coming King. Risen and powerful. Terrifying and inspiring. The warrior Jesus. The hope giver. The hope bringer. I'm going to read you a few passages from Revelation. Revelation is called the Revelation of... Anybody? Revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the introduction. It's not the revelation of the things that are yet to come. It's not the revelation of this awkward timeline that everyone's going to debate on. It's not the revelation of uh, how to figure out exactly what's going to happen. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the picture of Jesus Christ as He's revealed. In Revelation chapter 5, let me just read this to you. Then I saw in the right hand of Him who sat on the throne... A scroll with writing on it. Both sides were sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. And I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then... One of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David. Who's that? Jesus has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. 
encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven pillars of God sent out unto all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of Him who sat on the throne. And when He had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four autos, elders fell down and fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The primary word of Jesus that describes Jesus in this passage is victory. Victorious one. A victorious one is one who went into battle and won. And does He bear the scars? Yes, He does. Warriors have scars. And chicks do. I'm just Maybe, I don't know. I only have the one on my forehead. It's not that great. (laughs) Warriors bear scars of the battle. And Jesus is a victorious warrior. It continues in Revelation 14. I'm going to flip a few pages over and I'm going to read verses 14 and 16. I looked and there before me was a white cloud And seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. You ever had that picture of Jesus in your head? We tend to make this one kind of glib. Behold, He comes riding on the clouds with a sickle in His hand to harvest all the earth. No, that's not the way we sing it, right? Like That should be the song. But this is the biblical picture. Okay? He rides on a cloud with a sickle in His hand to harvest the earth because the earth was ripe. He's coming to be productive, to be victorious, and to take in the harvest of those He came to die for. That is a powerful Jesus. <coughs> Flipping even a few pages over to Revelation 19. My, my pages are all sticky. I hope I have all the chapters. In verses 11 through 16. Just a second. I don't know. Wow. All right. <laughs> Oh man, verses 11 through 16. And I saw heaven standing open. And there was before there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's Jesus, y'all. I'm not even Southern. I'm going to use my y'all. That's Jesus, you guys. doesn't have nearly as much impact. (laughs) That's Jesus. The rider on the white horse with an army behind him coming to bring judgment. 
And then Revelation 20, if I have this page, which I do. 11 and 12. Then I saw a great white throne and Him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from His presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown in a lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. That's also Jesus. As you read this, I want you to know that that's resurrected King Jesus. Most of us, myself included, we walk around with a picture of Jesus in our head as the one who's stuck on the cross. But guess what? He got off. And He rose from the dead. And He stepped onto this earth and He said, victorious, and now my job is to rule and reign over everything for the good of my church. And if we don't have a faith in that Jesus... If we don't have a faith in the, we have a faith in the humble human and the powerful prophet and the suffering service, but we don't suffering servant, but we don't know the coming king. We have no confidence in this life. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the maker and remaker of heaven and earth. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. He's the Son of Man who comes to bring perfect justice. He's the judge with the book that only He has access to. And He's the warring King coming to wage war on everything that's been trying to kill you for a millennia. And He will do it. Now I know many of you may be sitting here, or some of you may be sitting there going, I don't like that picture. I prefer my buddy Jesus that has open arms and drags me through the sand. (laughs) But here's the deal. When you don't have a well-rounded picture of Jesus that includes the powerful, stately king, that includes the warrior Jesus who will do whatever it takes to get his bride out of the prison of hell and sin, when you do not have that picture of Jesus, I need you to ask yourself the question, what do I lose when I have a smaller Jesus? So let's take a look at it right here. We do a little metaphysical math. What do I lose when I have a smaller picture of Jesus? If you remove the humble human, then Jesus is no longer... A pudgy little baby who spits up on his mom and suffers in his body and gets, as it gets torn and broken apart and as that spear is rammed into his side and we see the water and the blood come pouring out of him and he dies this horrible death. If you don't have that anymore, what do you lose? What do you lose? If you take away his anguish and his humiliation, you ultimately lose a God who loves to that degree. And subsequently, we become a people who will not love to that degree. We will say, I will love from a distance. I will love with my words. I will love by stacking some chairs. But if it's going to cost me, if it's going to be painful, I don't think so. Or if we remove the powerful prophet. We have a, you just, I love, love being able to see that. You have a humble human and you have a suffering servant and you have a coming king. But you lose the guy who powerfully tells you what is right and what is wrong, who is able to heal you now, who is able to speak to you in a powerful way to change your heart and to change your mind and to change your life. If you lose that, if we remove that from him, then he becomes a guy who doesn't care about our sin. 
He doesn't care about our life or our pain. He doesn't care about what's actually going on in our world and He can't do anything about it. We lose prayer. You can't even pray to a God who's just going to be a suffering human and eventually come again. He needs to be a powerful prophet for us to pray to Him. Or let's take the next one. Let's remove His suffering servant nature. Now He's a human who tells the truth and eventually He's going to, king. He's going to come back and be a king, but He didn't come to serve anybody. He didn't, come to, he didn't come to suffer at all. He just comes and He tells the Word of God and He does His duty and He does His job and He jumps up on the cross and He jumps off and now He's coming back again. And there's no suffering whatsoever. Well, if you remove the suffering of Jesus, if you remove the suffering of Jesus, you lose so much You lose a guy who knows the pain of your life to the detailed moments. You lose the guy who actually, the, the, the God who wants to hear what is going on in your life because he's suffering along with you. You lose a knowable God who sees and knows the plight of his people. You lose so much if you lose the suffering servant. You lose the God who wants to wash your feet who wants to lift you up, who wants to lift up your head and lift up your hands and help you. And I hope, I, I hope I have belabored this point and continue to. If you lose the coming Jesus, the coming King, if you take away that kingly power, there is no hope. No hope for the future. There's only hope for the sin of your past. Look at that. Humble human, powerful prophet, suffering servant, but if he's not returning, if he's not ruling and reigning, there is only hope for sin in your past. That is it. But this is a God who will come and will battle your sin with you. He will make war against your sin and against your heart and against the things that crust, that's crusting right over your soul even right now. He will do whatever it takes to cut that off. And that means that if our God, if Jesus Christ loses this power, then we lose the cross in this life right now. Any of these. You take any of these away and you lose the cross right here, right now. And especially right now in the face of the increasing moral depravity that we see and we're living in just like a back exceeds. We lose hope that this time right now, as dark as it is, even has the possibility of a powerful light that's going to show up. And in the words of Paul, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, if we don't have the cross, then we are still lost in our sin and to be pitied above all men because we have hoped in a lie. I think you'll agree with me. This world is big time dark and getting darker. And sure, yeah, we've got some great, wonderful technology that has elongated life so we can watch this happen longer. We have some great things where we are saving people and that is stuff that we need to do where we are saving and we have more people being born today percentage-wise able to sustain life because of the technology we have because there's not nearly as much infant mortality rate in the world as there was even 20 years ago. We're seeing beautiful and amazing things. But this world is still big time dark. We need a Savior who is a humble human, who is a powerful prophet, who is a suffering servant, and who is a resurrected king. And what I love about today is, guess what we get to do? We get to come to the table together. We get to come to the table together. 
Think about all of this stuff and think about this table. What does it represent? A humble human who came to powerfully tell the words of the Lord, who ended up on a cross suffering and serving you, having his blood spilled for yours, and then he raised from he was raised from the dead, he came back, he came to bring you the Holy Spirit and give you new life. And he said, as often as you observe this, you proclaim my death until I come. All of it is wrapped up right here. And so what we're doing is you're doing something theological right here. You're maybe, you're looking at this going, you know what? Uh, I, I take this thing and I don't really understand why. Well, I'm going to explain to you why. It is because in this we recognize who Jesus is, what he did, and what he is continuing to do in our life right now. We recognize that. And so we come with a response saying, come Lord Jesus, come King Jesus, please come and take over my life, rule and reign in it. But also please continue ruling and reigning over this world and help me to see how you're doing that and help me to step in line with what your plan is. All of this stuff is wrapped up in communion. And this is what I love about Habakkuk. Like he sees this powerful God. My prayer for us today, and we're going to pray that in just three seconds. My prayer for us today is that we would see the bigness of Jesus in this dark world. That we would see Jesus as big as He actually is. And that as we see Him as big as He is, it will change us now. And it will change the way we see this world. And it will change the way that we worship. And it will change the way that we lay down our lives. And it will change like these guys, when these guys that we saw in the video, when they saw that their lives fell apart, they get to go to King Jesus going, what are you trying to teach me right now? What are you trying to show me about myself? If we don't have these things, we don't have a coming King. We don't get to do that, but we have a risen King Jesus who is intimately involved in your life and wants to do, he wants to do so many things inside of you that he's just asking you to come and say, have your way. Thy will, not mine. You should increase. I must decrease. Have your way. And that's the moment we can come to communion as we come to him. So let's pray. And if you have questions about this stuff or you want to know Jesus in a bigger way, I actually would be incredibly happy to have you buy me a cup of coffee and talk about that. I would. Nothing I love more than talking about Jesus. You're going to get all kinds of charts and graphs and things drawn out all over the place, but it's going to happen. Because I love talking about Jesus. Jesus, I pray that you would give us a way bigger picture of you than we commonly have. I pray that You would blow our minds with the power of who You are. And Lord, there are many here, I know there are many here, that deal with, in, that deal with the, the garbage of this world on a routine basis. They deal with the garbage of this world all of the time. They deal with the garbage of this world. And just like Habakkuk, they get to cry out and say, Why are you not doing anything? But we can only do that because we know that You want to because we know that you're going to because we know that you're a risen king Lord Jesus would you please move in our world would you please move in our church would you please move in our hearts would you please move in our lives would you do the kingly thing that you do and be a warrior against the stuff in my life that is trying to kill my soul and kill my heart and kill my my body Lord do war, do battle in my life. 
and in the life of my friends. And as we come to communion, as we come to your table, would that be a moment where we invite you to do war? Because you are a victorious king. And we love you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.